Well, good morning again. We really want our Advent season to be a special time here at Bethany Church. And I hope you've sensed that from the decorations to our readings and our candle lightings to our Christmas carols. I hope you've sensed that, that this is a special time in the year of a church calendar, in the year of our, our lives as we approach Christmas. Every Sunday we celebrate Christ and His birth and His resurrection every Sunday, and yet there's something unique about Christmas time. There's something special about Christmas time when the culture, whether they know it or not, begins to celebrate and, and mirror the, the celebration we have going on within the church with lights and Christmas carols and, and gifts that point to the ultimate gift and the ultimate light. And that's what this series is about as we come back today to the, our series, um, The Coming Light. And as we talked about the coming light throughout this Advent season, what we really re- are referring to as we looked at that passage from la- last week from John 8, 12, is Jesus, the Son, is that coming light. As He said, I am the light of the world. Do you remember? And even as we sing today, come and see what God has done. The love that He has shown in Jesus Christ. And when we think of that light coming at Christmas, we think of the virgin birth as I read Mary's words today in our prayer. The light of Jesus Christ the Son taking on a body and being conceived in the womb of Mary. You know those words from Luke. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call His name Jesus and He will be great. And He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. We think about that baby in the womb, and then as, you th- as your mind goes forward a little bit later, nine months later for Mary, we think of the arrival of that light, the baby, the light, Jesus, the Son, lying in a manger. Luke goes on in chapter 2. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. It's a beautiful picture. So we think back to that Christmas story of the coming light, Jesus, the Son of God, coming to earth, to earth. But our passage today from John 3, which is part of a, a larger encounter now between Jesus and a curious Pharisee. Do you remember his name? Yeah, Nicodemus. Some have called him Nick at night because he went to Jesus at nighttime and kind of snuck there to find the Messiah, the light. At night, that's kind of interesting there. He goes in darkness, but he's going to seek, really, the light of the world to come to find out who Jesus is. And Jesus lights up his life in that dark nighttime encounter for this Pharisee. And if you remember the story, the clearest thing we come away with from John chapter 3, the clearest thing is that becoming a Christian now, a follower of Christ, isn't just like adding a little spice or salt to, to, to a dish. What was that cook? It was, I think it was an emerald. He was like, bam! You know, he, he added that spice to something just to make it a little, a little bit better. Like adding a few new beliefs to your life is what becoming a Christian is about. Even beliefs about Jesus. No, John 3 shows that becoming a Christian is a radical new birth. A radical new birth. 
a transformation, a new creature, a new nature, something that only God can do to us. As Jesus said to John, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again. There's the phrase. Born again. Maybe you've heard that phrase before and you thought, you know, maybe just some phrase that uh, the media likes to use maybe to describe a certain group of Christians or malign a group of Christians. Or kind of it becomes uh, synonymous for radical Christians, fringe Christians, born-again Christians. Or maybe you thought it's a word that maybe we've kind of made up or coined for ourselves and, or other Christians have used. Well, I'm a Christian, but not one of, the, not one of those born-again Christians. And John, Jesus says to John, there's no other kind. There's no other kind. A Christian is someone who's been born again, as Jesus says to Nicodemus. But in our passage today, the light really shows us the heart of God the Father. We're, gonna, we're talking about Christ, we're talking about the light, and yet in our passage today, we get to see and get deep insight into who God the Father is, and we get it from Jesus Christ. If I was to ask us today or to go out and take a poll and ask this question, when I talk about God the Father, how do you describe Him? What does it make you, you think of? You, know, you might get a hundred different answers from a hundred different people. Uh, a gray-bearded man. Man in the sky. Uh, an a- angry judge. Or like a, maybe a permissive dad that's just kind of, eh, it's okay, it's okay. Or like Morgan Freeman in a couple movies, right? <laughs> you might think that. A lot of people would. I think he's played in two or three different movies. He's played God. But the coming light at Advent, not Morgan Freeman, not our own opinions, not anybody else, the coming light, Jesus Christ, at Advent gets to give us our image of the Father. As He was the one who came from Him. The coming light. Look up a few verses in your text in chapter chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus said to Nicodemus, No one has ascended into heaven except He who descended from heaven heaven. Jesus gets to reveal the Father because that's what Christmas is about. He descended from heaven. Because He came from Him, He gets to share God the Father with us. And today, He says this, the Father is love. The Father is loving. He loved. As our passage contains the most famous verse of all the Bible, for God so Love the world. The Father is loving. It was an astounding statement that came from Jesus to Nicodemus, from the mouth of Jesus. This Sunday we focus on the love of God at Christmas. The love of God. Which wasn't just mere sentiment or feelings, but rooted in the action of giving us His Son the coming light. So grab your outline if you got it. Get ready to walk through a few points together. Have your text open to John 3 so you can follow along and know if what I'm saying lines up with what God is saying. As we look at the coming light today, we're going to look at four facts about the coming light from our passage. And here's the first one. The coming light came for love. He came for love. The first thing we see is that the coming light came for love. Or you could say, because of love. Christ came because of love. As John 3.16 says, we just even quoted, for God so loved the world 
that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life. You know, as Christians, we are people of the Word. And words, even tiny words, matter to us. I have this sign in my office that I have. It says, I think my wife got it for me. It says, words matter. I love to have it up on my bookshelf and just see it every once in a while, that words matter. We are people, not only of the Word, but as we come to look at the Word, the words themselves, they matter because they're words from, from God. And that little sign I have there in my office is there to remind me of that. That the words we use, the words we hear, the words we say and speak and meditate upon, they matter because they reveal to us who God is. And so we want to look just for a minute as we think about John 3.16 at a few powerful, even tiny, important words for a couple minutes. Words are important. And that little word, for, for God so loved, for, the beginning of John 3.16 there. It connects us back up to 14. Verse 14, that's why it's there. It's kind of like a therefore. For. And that phrase in verse 14, the Son of Man must be lifted up. You see it if you look a couple verses up there. The Son of Man must be lifted up. That means lifted up on a cross to die. Why? For, verse 16 says, God loved. The Son of Man must be lifted up. Why? For God loved. That's the connection there for us. God loved. If we're to see anything about God the Father today, if you're to hear one thing about God the Father today, if you need to be reminded of one thing, anything today, clearly here is the proof that the only God who exists, the God of eternity, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, God the Father is loving. He loves you. He loves you. Loving. That thing today, that thing, the coming light, the Christmas season, it's, it, it's really just the first scene, the first act of the baby in the manger. And every following act, every day in the life of Christ led and moved him closer and closer to being lifted up on the cross. That's why Jesus says, For there. He points us back. The Son of Man must be lifted up. Why? God loved. Lifted up for love. It's the, it's the primary way. It is the way that God has said to this world, creation, His fallen, uh, sinful, rebellious creation, I love you. Look at the cross. I love you. Look at the cross. The Son of Man must be lifted up. For God so loved the world. There's the connection. Do you remember the game? I don't know, maybe you played it or you saw it in a movie or, or a cartoon. That game, she loves me, she loves me not. <laughs> you take the flower. It's a game where the lover takes the flower and seeks to find out if the object of their affection reciprocates or, or has that same affection by pulling off a pebble, Remember? She loves me. She loves me not, right? She loves me. She loves me not. I'm not going to do the whole thing. We'd be here a while. But you get the idea. 
She loves me, that game. She loves me not. I can't tell you how often I do that with the love of God. I play this little game with a flower. He loves me, right? He loves me not. As I look at my life. Within a day, do you do that? Within an hour sometimes I do it. Oh, he loves me. He loves me not. I do that. I set up these benchmarks. And I look at individual, maybe it's the circumstances in my life, maybe it's the circumstances in your life, the happenings in my life, and I pull off another petal of the flower. You might even call them tests. I set up these little tests for God. What might that look like? Robin and I have a little argument. He loves me not. I woke up feeling kind of happy today. He loves me, right? My car breaks down. It's going to cost $1,200. He loves me not. (laughs) Wake up. My 401k is blowing up. He loves me. My kids are driving me crazy. He loves me not, right? All those things we do. What are your benchmarks? What are your tests for God? When do you doubt that God loves you? Do do you play this game too? Do you? Well, the coming light, Jesus came to say, if ever for a moment you find yourself doubting God's love, fight the enemy with this. The baby that was born in that manger to be lifted on a cross someday why he came and by that and that alone when i look to it i can know you can know that god loves you no matter what is going on in your life look to the cross the son of man must be lifted up why for god so loved that he gave his only son so don't be fickle in faith that every trial makes you pull off another petal of the flower be strong By looking at the object of your faith, look at the one lifted up on the cross and know He so loved me that He gave His only Son. That's how much He so loved. It means this, His love was not a mere mere sentiment or just a, a feeling for us. It was a giving love. And isn't that really a better definition of love? Because love is is not necessarily what our culture tells us, just how you feel about something. Because feelings do what? They come, they change, they come and go. And even those of us who have been married for years, you know, even in the course of a marriage, feelings come and go, don't they? They wax and wane. That's why we pull off another petal. Because many of us have bought into that, even as we deal with God, that love is about how I'm feeling in that moment. Or love is about how I'm feeling God's thinking about me today. And where my mind will take me. Love is not less than feelings. I want you to hear that. Not less than feelings. But it's so much more. Love acts. Love acts. And when it says he so loved, it really means in this way God loved. He gave. He so loved. In this way, He gave. It gives at a cost. That's what love does. It's how we know God loves us. Not because we know He's just full of gushy feelings for us. 
And he has sentiment feeling for us. But we know because he acted in this way, he gave. And he gave not like, if you had your kids donate their old toys to uh, Salvation Army or uh, kids at Kiwanis, uh, you just kind of donate. You know, you, find, you can find the ones that you know they're going to let go of pretty easily. You kind of pull it away. They don't even notice, right? You take the one, though, that they're treasuring. God didn't give in the way of kind of throwing out all the empty toys. He gave, what does it say, His only begotten Son, the most treasured prize, the most pre- treasured thing He had. Something of infinite value to Him, His Son. And He gave Him to a world that didn't even want Him. Look at Romans 5.8. But God shows His, there it is, love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us not, not because we're so warm or cuddly or lovable, but because He is love. It's the very definition. So when you're doubting the love of God, what should you do? Look to the cross. Look to the cross. Look to the giving nature of God. Look to Him. You know, the, this Advent season even, and you're thinking, even yourself, maybe you're getting together with family you haven't seen in a while, and you know it's going to be a little bumpy, or you haven't restored a relationship, you know you're going to be around somebody. This is the time of year when that happens, and you're thinking, can I give now in this situation? Can I forgive now in this situation? Think on the cross. This gift was free to us. When we've been given everything by God, how can we really lose anything by giving? Even if we gave everything, we'd still have him, wouldn't you? Think about that this Christmas season as you're called to give in some way. Well, the coming light came for love. That's the first one. The second one is this. second thing we see is this. The coming light came to save. The coming light came because of love, but he came to save. Look at verses 17 and 18. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. He came to save. I believe it was, I think it was, Benjamin Franklin who said, in this world nothing is certain but death and what? Taxes. Sometimes I wonder which one we dislike more. Death or taxes. I think we talk more about taxes than death. And maybe we should talk maybe more about death. Death is the real equalizer. It is real. And death comes for all of us. Did you know that in Silicon Valley, uh, you know, five, six, seven hundred, eight hundred miles or more south of us, there are companies, tech companies that you have heard of, even attached to the biggest tech company, Google, that are trying to cheat death. They're doing everything they can to cheat death. There are tech companies that are spending, believe it or not, billions of dollars to defeat death that they view as kind of just sort of a nuisance or a problem that if we can just get the right technology, 
we can defeat it. We can, we can overcome it. You know, if we just can crack the code of DNA and rid the world of whatever causes death, presto, we've done it. Technology has won the day. Or maybe we'll transport our consciousness onto a hard drive somewhere. That sounds fun, doesn't it? No. <laughs> Put our brain on a, some hard drive somewhere in Google's office. We'll, we'll get you back in a body when we figure it all out. No, thank you. There are companies that are really investing billions of dollars for just such purposes so that technology can beat death. And it's only natural, though, because everybody knows and everybody has a sense that something in us tells us to keep on going, to keep on living, and that it isn't supposed to be this way, that we die. It's not supposed to be this way. But their methods are all wrong. And they miss the point entirely. As verse 18 says there, we enter this world condemned already. As we enter this world, we stand condemned already if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. Christ Himself said it. You are condemned already. Because death isn't just a nuisance or, or, or a technological problem or even just a material problem with our bodies. It's a spiritual death problem. It's a big problem. It's not just a nuisance. And it comes to each and every one of us because our very first parents decided, Adam and Eve, to step outside of God's grace, to step outside of God's blessing, to step outside of God's care. And condemnation came to Adam and Eve in a couple ways. Not only were they expelled from the garden, they were kicked out of the garden, but they were placed under from that moment and every, all of humanity after them the judgment of death, the condemnation of death. But the coming light came to save. The coming light came to save. Jesus said, God in love sent me, gave me, freely commissioned me to save you from death. Save you from death. That's why it's so hard, I think, for our world to see what Christmas is about or what the life of Christ is about when we say that Jesus came and He's God in flesh and He came to die and get bloody on a cross where Christmas culminates when our world is so used to being saved by the newest and latest technology. It becomes really hard. We want to be saved by technology. And a lot of that technology is good and has made life easier, better, and less painful. That's good. But I guess it actually was, I guess we actually were saved through technology. It was a crude technology, the cross. It was at one time a technology. For all our progress, and we may continue to lengthen the average lifespan, and that will be good. For the most part, that will be good. But we'll never be able to, for all our achievements, overcome our sin and the coming death that awaits all of us. For all our technology. We needed God to do that. Not Google. <laughs> we needed God. We need God for that. We need that coming light that came to save us from sin and death by dying on a cross. It's fairly simple. If you don't believe, Jesus says, you remain in your condemned state. The way you were born. You might say, well, that doesn't sound... We're talking about love today. 
that doesn't sound loving. That, that, that God is going to condemn me or that if I don't believe, I'm left in a condemning state. And I would say that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying your rejection of Jesus Christ is what condemns you. Your rejection of what you say about Jesus Christ condemns you. God loved. He's given. He's made it really clear. He's given a son, Jesus Christ, who had to be lifted up. He's given us a way to know him. But that saving comes through belief. He's loved enough to give us a way, to pave a way and make it really clear by resurrecting from the dead even. But that, get, that saving comes through believing. So, the coming light came because of love. The coming light came to save. But here it is. The coming light requires belief. It requires belief. It's the third thing I want us to see from the coming light this morning. Verse 16 said it. Believe on Jesus and have eternal life. Eternal life. And verse 18 says it. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Not condemned now. Belief. Well, believe in what? Believe in what? Well, the claims first that Jesus makes right here in this passage. You don't really, you could stick right in John 3 and you'd be good if you believed what Jesus said in John 3. You could go to just that one chapter of the Bible in John 3. That's first. Believe that. Believe that Jesus came to be lifted on a cross to save you from your sin. Believe and trust that and you will be saved. It's clear. It's simple. Our human hearts, whether you believe in Christ today or not, or if you do, our human hearts, they want so desperately to believe in, in, in something. In something. I mean, everybody believes in something. Even the belief that there's nothing out there past this body this material world is a belief that you're resting in. Everybody's got a belief. Everybody's placing their faith in something, even if it's nothing. You're placing your faith. There's no test tube that's going to tell you that that you can do. Test. You're placing your faith in something. Every heart believes in something and wants desperately to believe in something. We want something to believe in. What do I mean? Watch this short clip. From a few years ago, the World Cup. It's a primal cry almost, isn't it? You hear those drums. A primal cry from the human heart. I believe. 
I believe, and you heard the phrase, I believe that we will win. It's an echo from human hearts. An empty hole that wants so badly to be filled with belief in something. And I don't show that clip because it's wrong to even passionately root for a team. It's not. But because I was struck as I saw that video for the first time by the curious language of believe. 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 Your heart desperately needs and wants something to believe in. And everybody wants it. Some hope. Some victory. Some, some, some deliverance. And you can. Freedom from death. Freedom from sin. Freedom from condemnation. Believe. Have faith in Jesus Christ. But we have to be careful here. We just finished our Echoes of the Reformation class uh, this morning. It was a six-week class talking about the themes and the truths of the, the Reformation. And one of the things they talked about is we have to be careful when we talk about faith. Like You just got to believe and you'll be saved. Just got to have faith and you'll be saved. They call it the, kind of the Disney, Disneyized version of faith. When you wish upon a star makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires is it, will all come true. You just got to believe. Just got to believe. Just got to believe. No. It's not just faith in faith. Just got to believe. It's not just faith in faith that Jesus is even talking about here. It's faith in the object of our faith. That's what saves us. The object of our faith. We can fall into that error that faith is what saves us. Faith justifies once I start believing that I'm saved. Faith is the instrument. Faith is the instrument by which you get all of the real Savior's benefits. Faith. The faith is the instrumental cause, you might say, that we're joined to Christ. Believe in Him. Believe in His name. Believe in His work. So when your faith feels weak, when your faith feels weak, what do you do? You look to the object of your faith. You look to the light. You look to the manger. You look to the cross. And the result is you stand uncondemned because He stood condemned for you. That's what you do. He paid for you. He paid even for real people, real people's punishment and real sins that you've committed. Not even in some general sense to make salvation possible. If you place your faith in Jesus, you can be confident He died for for you. You now. Real punishment paid out for you. And real sins paid for. That means how could He ever undo the payment that He's already paid? How could he ever undo it or go back on it? If your punishment has already been spent out at that cross when he was lifted up, how could he take back his payment? He won't. He won't. Or take back his uncondemning of you and place the condemning back on you when it's already been placed on Christ. He won't. That's the good news of Christmas. What are you condemning yourself for this Christmas? It's the season of doing that, isn't it? Your tree's not up yet. Shopping's not done. The meal you're going to make for the feast doesn't turn out good enough. Your invites are out too late. What are you condemning yourself for? 
this Christmas. There's something. Maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe you feel like you're not smart enough, not successful enough, not good-looking enough, always late to things. Just, we just do that. We condemn ourselves. Remember this in your belief, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can condemn you. Nothing can condemn you. Not even yourself. And we're the best at it, aren't we? When you stand in Christ Jesus. The coming light. He came because God is love. He came to save us. He saves and applies it through our believing. But now as we close, what about you? Specifically now. Each and every one of us is an individual sitting here in chairs today or me here. What about you? We finish with this one. The coming light and your response. Your response now. Someone sitting here today. This passage wraps up as we heard it read by the Schweitzers. This, um, the light has come. Some run to the light. Some flee from the light. It gets pretty specific there that people respond and they will respond and you will respond. I will respond as I hear about Jesus Christ today and the light. You will respond in some way. And every sermon should, right, call us to respond in some way, in action. Well, the passage wraps up, as I said, in those specific terms, the light has come, and that's what Christmas is all about. The light has come. Jesus has made that certain today in His words even to Nicodemus. But will you run from the light and hide from it? Because you don't want to admit your need Will you look to Jesus? Maybe even for the first time today. Or keep looking to Jesus today. I want us to finish by going back up to verse 14 of chapter 3 to see what we are believing in. Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, and as as a Jewish Pharisee, he would have got this story. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. Jesus refers back to this story, even in this Christmas kind of passage. This story way back in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers. Do you remember that story? The Israelites had just defeated a Canaanite king and they were leaving the Red Sea and they they complained. They murmured. They grumbled against God. They were doing one of these. He loves me. He loves us not. They were pulling off petals. He loves us not. Look where we're at. And Numbers says God sent to them Really strange. Fiery serpents. Fiery serpents, the book of Numbers describes, amongst His people. God did this now. And the serpents came and they bit the Israelites. And many died. Sounds like a great day, doesn't it? Sounds like something I want to be part of. It happened. It's a strange story. And the people asked Moses, their leader, do something intercede for us. Go to God. Do something. This is out of control. We're we're dying here, Moses. 
The venom is coursing through our veins. We're dying, Moses. And Numbers records, and the Lord said to Moses, God said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and he set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent on the pole and live. Here they are with venom coursing through their veins. Tell me that's not a picture of sin infecting every bit of who we are. Like venom running through our veins. Like venom coursing through your veins. And the bronze snake Moses made, it was put on this pole and it was lifted up really high. Really high. And whoever looked at it was saved. Saved given physical life. The means God used was this snake. I mean, think about it. All they had to do, all they had to do was look. Some of them were probably really, really far off. Really far away from the snake that was lifted up. And and they could maybe just barely see it over the crowds of people off in the distance. Dimly kind of see Some of them were probably right there at the foot of the snake looking right up at it as they were dying from the venom coursing through their veins. Some of them probably were there right at the door of death and couldn't even speak and maybe somebody else even lifted their head up so they could see it. And Jesus here says, like the snake, I will be lifted I'll be lifted up. And this very lifting up on a cross and this lifting up out of the grave and this lifting up into heaven, this is the way I will save you now. You, you just look. You just look. Just like they did with the snake. Wherever you are, just look. So you today, just look. Wherever you are, whether you're near or it's dim, or it seems far off, whether it's clear or cloudy, or whether it's the first time today for you to look at Christ, or years you've been looking at Jesus. It's ultimately not about the look. It's who you're looking at. That's what Numbers was about, that story. That's what Jesus is saying. Look, I'm going to be lifted up. That's what the baby in the manger came to do. I am the means, he said. Believe in me. That's how you enter the kingdom. That's how you're given eternal life. And so your response, will you come out into the light today, this Advent season, this Christmas? Will you come out into the light again as a follower of Christ? Or will you hide from it? Will you hide from what Christmas is really about? Will you hide from the words of Christ today, what he said? Here's what I encourage you to do. Come out to the light today. Come out and let all of those even know in your life this Christmas season what you're believing in, why you're believing in it, and what it means for your life to look to the Son on the cross. Let's do that as a church. As we gather with family, as we gather with friends that don't know Christ, that light that comes for love to save, the light that you believe in, bask in. How could we ever say, He loves me not. When He's loved us, 
the way he has in Jesus Christ. We can't. There's the proof. Let's pray. Lord, we come again today as Jesus takes us there himself in John 3.